0: Welcome to the Climate Fix. My name is Asim. On this show, we shine a spotlight on non-profits, academics, corporations, startups, anyone working on a solution to the climate problem. On today's episode, recorded on the 12th of June 2020, I spoke with Troy Carter, co-founder of Rhizome. Rhizome is on a mission to make urban development regenerative. They're planting one of the largest carbon sequestration projects on the planet and scaling engineered bamboo lumber into a primary global construction material. Troy graduated from Stanford University, was an early employee at Airbnb and Ella Cart, and then founded and scaled Troy Cider. Yes, it's a cider firm, and exited after a successful acquisition in 2015 and is now working hard to fix the construction industry at Rhizome. So, we normally talk about growing trees to sequester carbon. But how about growing trees, chopping them down, turning them into lumber, building skyscrapers with that lumber, and then growing more trees on the same land? Replace trees with bamboo, and you have a vision for the climate-positive future that Rhizome wants to build. And I'm glad Troy agreed to spend some time with me to talk about it. Let's dive straight in. Hi, Troy. Welcome to the show. What is the climate problem that you are solving?
1: So, the global construction industry is basically a catastrophe. You know, it's gotten us here so far, but if we actually double the number of buildings, on Earth by 2060, and we make them out of steel and concrete or unsustainable wood. um, That's bad news. So humanity has to have a solution to carbon intensive building. Bamboo is the most scalable technology that we have for replacing wood, steel and concrete in a scalable way. On the other side, um, in in addition to building, uh, reforestation is a major issue. So reforestation from agricultural replacement, but also just from climate change, urbanization, uh, and just in land use and agency by the people who are on land, particularly indigenous populations. So we need a new model that incentivizes people to actually grow trees and keep them.
0: Excellent. So I think you touched briefly upon the scale of this problem. Do you have any information about that? Like, why is the construction industry a problem worth
1: solving? Right. So we all, we've all heard numbers about the amount of CO2 produced from steel and concrete. Um, I won't sp- cite them specifically because they're a little bit fuzzy, you know, somewhere between seven and 10% each of global CO2 emissions. Building operations also have a pretty significant footprint. Um, And embodied carbon is one of the most significant aspects of that. Most modern buildings going forward will have uh, operational footprints that are much lower than previous buildings. So the estimate is somewhere over the next five to 10 years, 90% of the energy used by buildings will be embodied carbon in the construction. Ah. And so actually, the major issue is building the building, not so much operating it, or at least the issue in the future. So
0: historically, the carbon cost of buildings was perhaps more of an even mix of the running of the buildings after they've been created and the cost initially of building them. But what you're saying now is is the predominant cost now is in the construction. And I think I saw some stats out. I'll throw stats out there. I don't mind throwing stats out. But it's like a third of all... I think I even saw an article today from Carbon Brief, which said I think 20 or 25% of all of China's carbon emissions are from construction and destruction of buildings. And that's a huge chunk of that pie. Yeah,
1: Right. So the problem's obvious. Right. And I think, you know, climate change right now is an undisputed, you know, an undisputed fact. We can see the evidence of it every day. Um, and so there needs to be a solution not just to reduce the amount that we are emitting through renewable energy and other green practices you know sustainable consumption but also practically actually removing co2 from the atmosphere and putting it in in the ground or in durable goods
0: and that's what rhizome is doing because you are well tell me what's rhizome doing
1: right so rhizome is a two-part company the first stage is we manufacture bamboo engineered lumber. And this is a not just sustainable, but actually regenerative alternative to wood, steel, and concrete. It's the fastest growing plant on earth. It's a giant grass. We use the species Dendrocalamus asper, which is between 80 and 120 feet tall. It grows super fast. Um, we're based in the Philippines mostly, and our manufacturing operations we started in 2019. Um, so we're sort of at a small scale of manufacturing operations. So that's one half of the business. We make the most, we make a technically superior material. It's two and a half times the strength of Douglas fir. Um, it's got a better strength to weight ratio than steel. Um, it's far more fire resistant. It's the only class A biological material for fire resistance. It's in the same class as gypsum and steel and concrete. Um, all other woods are class C fire resistance with the ASDM. Um, So that's a really big deal. And it's also very durable. So um, in terms of hardness, you can use it as flooring or other aesthetic surfaces. So it's a technically superior material to wood. um, And it's also regenerative. When you cut it down, it just grows right back. And that's because of the rhizome. The rhizome is an underground root mass that just shoots up new shoots. So
0: I'm just a little bit shocked by some of the numbers you threw out there. So it's 50 feet, 50 to 90 foot tall
1: grass. Um, It taller than that usually, Um, we're, you know, we can see, let's say an average of 80 to 100 feet. um, And that's really for the species that we're using. And one of the, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of bamboo, thousands of different species. There are very few that are useful for construction at the scale that we're talking about. It's really only Dendrocalamus asper and a couple other species. Most bamboo, including the ones in China and Vietnam are moso or luong. They're about four inches across in diameter. Ours are up to 12 inches across. So that just fundamentally changes the cost structure of the business. And it
0: sounds like unlike a tree, when you chop down a tree, it's dead. When you chop down bamboo, you're saying it grows back up again. It
1: grows back in 18 months. And then within three years, that comb is harvestable for a really great timber product. And that maybe goes to the other side of our business, which is actually planting bamboo. Hmm. Um, you know, globally, globally timber. You know, in the U.S. and Canada, there's a lot of sustainably harvested timber. They're doing a pretty good job. Um, I think mass timber is a great technology. We need a lot more wooden buildings. But internationally, that's not the case. You go to Indonesia, you go to Philippines, you go to India. You can't cut down any more trees because there aren't any, right? Mm-hmm. You know, from the '60s through the '90s. Um, Pretty much all of Southeast Asia, much of Africa, um, and many other developing regions have seen near 100% logging. So there's actually no more wood. And so we need another alternative so that these areas don't just build in concrete and steel. And so part of our operation is actually planting bamboo. There's not enough of dendrocalamus asper and other species that are large enough to be able to make structural panels at a cost that is competitive with wood. So we have planting operations, and because bamboo grows so quickly, it grows at least ten times faster than any other timber species, including radiata pine or other fast-growing species. Um, And so we can actually get a lot of carbon credits for this. Um, So rather than basically with traditional reforestation or RED projects that you know can maybe cover the costs, but it's still a philanthropic endeavor. Because bamboo grows so fast, it fundamentally changes the economic incentives for planting because it's actually a profitable operation rather than covering part of the costs.
0: This is what I found really fascinating about what you're proposing here, or what you are doing here, I should say, is when I thought of tree planting, and I think a lot of us like know about tree planting. It's a method of carbon sequestration. My mind would stop at the tree being planted and grown. You've taken it a step further, which is like, let's plant it. Let's grow it, let's sequester that carbon, then let's take that product and build buildings out of it. And then in the same plot of land, you're regrowing and re-sequestering. And then at the same time, it sounds like it's constantly giving you carbon credits.
1: Correct, correct. So there's the fundamental difference between trees and bamboo is that bamboo grows 10 times as fast Um, And it just regrows when you cut it. And it matures at a time scale that is, you know, seven years from planting. And then every year you have an annual crop versus, you know, 25 to 50 years uh, and then you chop it down and it dies.
0: So it takes seven years to mature. And then when you chop it every year, you can take a timber harvest?
1: Yeah, we harvest about a third of the clump each year. Um, So there's a constant maturation process happening
0: okay i see and a clump is what a mat of rhizome is it
1: right so imagine imagine a very tall 100 foot tall stand of grass with about 50 shoots coming up um, and we can harvest about 15 or so bamboo shoots every year um, and these are very large poles they're on the order of 100 kilograms each um, so they're you know they're big pieces of wood um, and, uh, and part of the product, so maybe just go into the product for a moment. We take these large poles, we cut them into sections, and with those sections, we split the pole and plane each slat uh, into a dimensional piece. So the slat is about 10 millimeters by 35 millimeters wide and about 3.2 meters long. So it's a long, thin board. Um, And then we take those long, thin boards, and just like any other engineered lumber, we glue them together into whatever format the customer needs. And that's primarily something like quarter-inch lumber, um, which is just a highly scalable input into many different construction projects. Um, And in the future, we'll be doing CLT and LVL, and these are large uh, CLT and LVL for the people who are not deep into engineered lumber products. Uh, CLT is cross laminated timber, LVL is laminated veneer lumber. These are, you know, these are products that are hitting the mainstream now. As mass timber comes online, we can build very large wooden members out of smaller dimensional lumber. So these are, you know, say three foot thick by 60 feet long, 12 feet wide, you know, flooring and structural panels. And if we start making those out of bamboo, um, they're going to be stronger, more fire-resistant, and cheaper than wood. And that's a big deal for global construction. So these, what would they call, CB...
0: CL3. So these are extremely, it sounds like extremely strong, extremely large engineered bits of l- lumber. Correct. And these are the things that you can use to build really large construction.
1: You can build skyscrapers, you know, and it's a new thing in the world. Um, you know, mass timber... Uh, like tall mass timber buildings were only really legalized in the U.S. and Canada in 2018. So internationally, it's just taking off. Um, although, you know, there are projects in Tokyo and London uh, London with plans for 50 plus story wooden buildings. So, you know, the age of wooden skyscrapers is coming pretty quickly. And instead of wood, you know, anything that can be built with wood can be built built with bamboo and better. And in order to do that, there's a couple hurdles that we need to overcome. The biggest hurdle is supply chain reliability, right? You can go buy a container of Douglas fir pretty darn easy. Um, But if you want to go buy a container of bamboo lumber, uh, where do you go find it? It just doesn't exist right now. Um, So we have to build a super reliable supply chain to make it worth the developer's time to build large buildings out of bamboo. The second is price. Um, At the next level scale of manufacturing will be cheaper Than comparable wood products so that's a really big deal we can make a technically superior material that's cheaper than wood the world changes Um, that hasn't been the case until now we're the first company that is vertically integrated means planting manufacturing you know the whole operation um, with a very large species of bamboo that only exists in mindanao in the philippines other areas of the world there are small clumps of it but not in nearly a large enough quantity to scale into a really big operation. So
0: is that how you're combating the supply chain problems is by growing everything yourself and being vertically integrated?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in the Philippines, we are using currently existing bamboo supply because we don't want to wait seven years to harvest. So that's really the only place in the world where we can use existing harvestable bamboo. And at the same time, we'll be planting large reforestation projects elsewhere in the world. Um, I could name a long list of countries with local partners that we've talked to. um, And then we'll also be doing domestic projects in the US starting this year as well.
0: That Sounds amazing. So this almost sounds too, it's, it's the, all the numbers you've thrown right. out are It's me. a little bit too good to be true. Yeah. Is it yeah. real? Are we yeah. going to be able to do it? <laughs> I'm still getting over the fact that you told me that it's too, well, your bamboo material is, was it two and a half times the tensile strength of steel?
1: Well, uh, not exactly. Strength to weight ratio. Steel is really heavy. Uh, it is very strong for yeah. sure. Okay, um, But it's got a tremendous carbon footprint. And it turns out, um you know if you build a big building uh you know the weight the weight is a big factor you have an earthquake and the moment of inertia has to be you know it has to be a light building in order to regain its center for example so modern buildings will actually be now it'll be better to build them with wood um and even better to build with bamboo
0: because it's lighter because there's an inertia with weight which makes a lot of sense that yeah oh amazing so just out of interest so what are some things people perhaps misunderstand about your products?
1: About bamboo. Yeah. Also, I want to cover this last topic. Like, is it for real? Yeah. You know, bamboo has been seen as an academic material for a long time. You know, everyone in the wood industry knows about bamboo. Everyone's sort of like, you know, it's been around since the 70s, you know, where people have done experimental projects with it, but it's never really taken off. Um, and it's also been sort of seen as a fringe material you know, people in third world countries that are probably have unreliable supply chains, they probably can't get us what we actually need. It's probably not worth our time. So those are the two major image problems that Bamboo has. One is a real problem, which is supply chain reliability. And the other is, you know, an image problem of it being a fringe or unproven material that's not structurally approved by code compliance, Mm -hmm. etc. So... We've been in this a long time. You know, our team has spent the last 26 years in bamboo construction. Um, David's one of the foremost bamboo architects in the world. He's run a company called Bamboo Living. Um, and so we have a lot of experience with bamboo. We got the first ICC uh, code certification in the US for bamboo construction a long time ago. Um, it's a code code compliance organization. and. We're working on the next scale of testing and code compliance for dimensional products now. And that means bamboo plywood, means bamboo CLT. We're going to be able to build large buildings out of bamboo in a couple of years. And that's going to take half a million dollars and uh, two years of testing and smashing and burning things that we build.
0: Oh, is that because that's how you test? You smash and burn the?
1: You shake it and smash it and burn it and see <laughs> failure points.
0: Oh, brilliant. So, yeah, so it feels, I mean, I lived in Hong Kong for about six or seven years, and I remember distinctly at my period of time that bamboo wasn't used for the, at least I never saw a bamboo building, but I saw it being used everywhere in construction. The entire skyscrapers scaffolded in bamboo, which goes to show, I think for me, at least, it's not too big a jump then to go, well, if you can scaffold a building in bamboo, you can perhaps create a building in bamboo
1: yeah i mean every everywhere in asia bamboo has been known as green steel you know like Uh, it's the primary construction material uh traditionally in a lot of different areas um there's been some major innovations technically that has made it possible to be used as a modern construction material rather than as a cottage industry though one is uh treatment so we pressure treat it um, or vacuum treat it with um, basically chemicals that make it borate essentially right now, uh, that make it more fire resistant, but also, uh, just make it sup- have super long longevity, mm. um, so you can use it just as you would any other, uh, long-term durable construction. Good. Um, the other is moving from round pole bamboo construction, which all these scaffolds you saw, you know, yeah. this is almost so that has been super strong, amazing bamboo. Um, but it's too small to dimensionalize it in a cost-effective way. So we need bigger bamboo so we can get bigger slats and the cost can go way down. And that's what we're doing. So exciting.
0: It sounds like you've faced skeptics before in the past. How have you overcome them? Have you convinced them about the benefits of bamboo?
1: We send them a product spec sheet and then their eyes bug out a little bit when they see the moment of elasticity um, for, uh, and just the technical specs of the material it's just way stronger than wood, it's way more fire resistant, it's way more durable. So technically, it's it's a really well studied material that's just never been put into scale production in the way that we're doing it. So most of the skepticism is, are we going to be able to create a reliable enough supply chain to be able to start shipping you know, 10 to 100 containers a day to very large lumber companies that want to integrate it into hybrid wood bamboo products, for example. Mm-hmm. That's still a question that we're working on. One, um, you know we are working in very rural developing areas, which goes slower than Western you know manufacturing expansion. Um, so it's a very relationship driven operation, um, you know, making contact with the indigenous people, making contact with local partners and uh, and governments. Um, you know we built our first factory in 2019. Um, have been in operation for about five months now. Um, so we're actually doing it. We're break even profitable. Um, wow. you know, it's working. We've proven the model that we can actually make these materials pretty well. Um, and now what we're proving is scale. The next scale of business is about 10 times the size of manufacturing or processing facility that we're doing now. Um, to do that, we need about $2 million to build that facility. So that's why we're going to raise some money later in the fall. Now that we've proven out the first scale model, we need to prove out the second scale model and that's a processing facility that's very well spec'd out by modern western lumber engineers and can be replicated pretty much anywhere in the world that there's a large enough bamboo resource.
0: So the stage you're at right now is in five months, you're already profitable, which is uh, for any startup, that's a quite an incredible achievement. So congratulations. So let's talk about scaling then. So you talked about the next stage is a larger factory. I want to go to the max. Like, let's imagine.
1: Great. I want to go to the max too.
0: Yeah. So this is an amazing solution. I think somewhere on your website, you even reached out to 2050 and There's even a potential of like a 1% reduction in carbon.
1: Yeah, we believe that if we fully utilize the bamboo resources that currently exist and have really significant planting operations, and I can tell you more about the details um, that we've actually concretely planned, we believe that we can draw down 10 gigatons of CO2 from the atmosphere. That's including uh, replacement of other existing building materials as well. So in terms of total impact, we believe we can have a 10 gigaton impact by 2050. And for, for people who are not into, um, not into carbon yet, um, I mean, when I, when I say that, people giggle a little bit. These are like, okay, that's, that's insane. That's 1% of you know, anthropogenic um, you know, carbon emissions. Uh, that's huge. And we think we can do it. And part of the unique qualities are because bamboo grows so fast. It can be used as a very compelling uh, agroforestry component of large scale reforestation. So we've just started partnering with reforestation groups to start planting 100 million trees a year in the countries that they're operating in. Um, So that's the first project in the Philippines. And and as part of that, there will be a 10 percent bamboo component, which is which is really good on multiple levels. So 10% bamboo means we have a lot of carbon sequestration. But more than that, and this is really at at a larger scale, the climate crisis is not an issue of carbon dioxide. It's an issue of how human beings have developed civilization to have poor, like negative externalities on the environment. And so there needs to be holistic solutions. One of the things we can measure is carbon dioxide. So we can we can measure and get paid for some things. And other things we have to just know that are we're doing something good. And the holistic nature of bamboo is that we can plant it, we can provide local, you know, the the local farmer or indigenous populations, particularly in the Philippines, can harvest it every year, which de-incentivizes them to cut down the native forest. Um, And it also provides an annual income so that there's food stability. The combs are also smaller than trees. So it requires massive equipment to cut down large mature trees. But in terms of gender equality and economic equality, you can cut down a piece of bamboo with a machete. Uh, Women can carry it, men can carry it. Um, Women women in indigenous populations are our primary nursery uh, employees and, and managers. Um, so in terms of equality, in terms of social and economic and racial justice, this is a powerful turnkey solution in coordination with native reforestation.
0: You're painting a beautiful picture for me of a world, and let's go there. So 10 gigatons, you mentioned, is kind of the potential. Like, What does Rhizome, the company, look like, or what does the world look like? You've mentioned, I think you've hinted at this idea of perhaps like a global network of farmers who are making bamboo? Like, what is it that actually needs to happen to get us to that? What does that look like?
1: What does the world need to look like? And what does rhizome need to look like in order to have the level of impact that we believe is possible? Mm -hmm. So let's start at the world level. One is that individual landholders and indigenous populations need to be able to at least as a bridge and transition, need to be able to derive economic benefit from native forests and agroforestry crops. And one way of doing that is having a commodity product that essentially pays for a holistic, healthy life. And bamboo is a product that in the past has not been a commodity. For example, timber has been a commodity. You can cut down a tree and you can send it into the lumber industry and it goes as Douglas fir as a graded you know, mm-hmm. commodity product. Um, bamboo will be that in the future, but in order for that to be the case, we actually have to create that industry. And in order to create that industry, we need a couple different layers. One is that, you know, let's let's talk about a rural farmer in Indonesia. We just talked to our Indonesian partners yesterday. Mm-hmm. So they have an image of uh, village level cooperatives, where individual villages and uh, households own or have long-term leases on plots of land. Together, they can make up about 2,000 hectares of land that is growing dendrocalamus asper and other agroforestry species. Um, Those hectares of bamboo are harvested every year and go to a central process, rural processing facility um, where they're essentially treated and turned into slats. At that point, uh, Rhizome can become their best customer um, and turn it into value added products for the Western and international construction market. And that's a very hard step for a rural farmer in Indonesia to make, to actually go access a global construction market. And it's also a hard step for them to pay $2 million to build a local processing facility or $11 million to build the lamination line to do the final value added step. Um, so that's where we come in. One, we can help them finance bamboo planting with carbon offsets. We can support them to build uh, local processing facil- facilities, either as a joint venture or something that they do themselves, providing expertise and money. And we can also be the best customer for that co-op. And that's a structure that works really well for everyone. It allows us the place of the like largest um, point of value capture um, where the price is still low enough to be cost-competitive uh, to be cost competitive with wood.
0: I loved how you expressed it in terms of the, the timber industry is an industry. It's a globe-spanning industry. No matter where you are in the world, you could probably, cho- I don't know, I have no idea how I would chop down the tree in my back garden and, and sell it into the wood industry. But I could imagine being part of that industry. But for Rhizome to achieve that goal, you need to create that industry and you need to be that globe-spanning vehicle where people could grow bamboo feed it into you and then you create construction graded timber for used in construction
1: correct yeah and for sure you know in a decade there will be a lot more players doing what we're doing now i don't pretend to imagine that the chinese and other companies won't come in once they see the value we're starting to create and in a way i think that's great i think there should be a lot of players entering the bamboo market because um, it's it's actually a very um, it will be very profitable, but it also should become a commodity, just like Douglas fir is now a commodity for global construction, and and part of the reason for that is that it has a great uh, you know has a great climate impact, but also we don't worry about our own future because um, you know we worked out a model to make relationships with farmers and other indigenous landholders um, split carbon offsets with them have a model where they are incentivized to stay within our supply chain uh, because we're doing really well by them um, and providing you know a very reliable customer base um, and essentially them getting paid for carbon credits every year plus being able to sell as a harvest operation another level is you know we're talking about carbon offset credits and and I'm not sure how much the audience right now knows about carbon offset credits, but there's a couple of different markets. There's a voluntary market, and then there's a compliance-based market that is, you know, run by governments and large industry. And the voluntary market is really attractive um, because, and will continue to grow. Companies like Microsoft, um, but also many other forward-looking uh, companies, suddenly start realizing, hey, it's actually not just my re- corporate responsibility, but I have the power to make a very big difference in the way the planet looks. And most carbon offset credits are not worth the paper they're written on for renewable energy projects or building dams or even, even uh, maintaining forests. Um, there's a lo- I have a lot of skepticism that it's actually doing something good. And what we can provide is the most precise data-oriented Ah, uh, carbon sequestration, but also impact um, monitoring of any operation that I know of. You know we can we have a, a large network of network of farmers in the Philippines, and we also know exactly how much carbon is sequestered because we have very rigorous methodology, the first methodology through BCS for bamboo. Um, and we can also, in the end, we can harvest it and see exactly how much carbon is sequestered, which is a neat. It's actually, it's better for the plant. You keep harvesting it, you can harvest it for 80 years, continue to sequester carbon.
0: I think that's the, I know you, you mentioned other things there as well, but with a tree, you just have to trust that it will grow. It won't be chopped down or it won't be burnt. It won't be destroyed in some other mm-hmm. mechanism. I think we have a maturity of 40 years, whereas with you, you know that like you're staring at it and you're seeing it grow and then you're chopping it down as in to turn into lumber. I suppose it's much more, because it's in a, in a matter of a few years, you can measure yeah. that.
1: And... There's a faster time scale yeah. and the actual profitability in the first 10 years makes it so that we can have a much more detail-oriented data tracking approach, which is also great for us. If we're harvesting a million clumps of bamboo every year, we actually want to collect data on every clump. We have an RFID tag and you know geotag. We can see every single clump in our system, so we know the wall thickness, we know the weight, we can identify the top 1% of... You know, identify the top 1% of bamboo with the biggest wall thickness. And this is another kind of advantage because we can say for each millimeter increase in wall thickness in our species, that's a 10% decrease in the price of our product, in the price of our material cost. So that's a big deal. So over time, we anticipate that the cost will just go down as we just select the top uh, performing clumps.
0: Oh, I see. So hang on. So how are you tracking your clumps right now? How are you measuring this? Have you got some technical method of measuring or is this a manual measurement you're describing?
1: Just now. Oh, it, it, right now it's very manual. Right. You know, our harvest team out in the field uh, with a truck yeah. cutting it down with chainsaws yeah. and uh, you know, weighing and um, and a guy with a caliper weighing wall thickness. Like right now it's it's very manual. In the future, we can imagine a more... Uh, a more automated process but right now in the Philippines and just at our stage of development like manuals where it's at it's actually a very low-tech operation with very little technical risk.
0: So that's kind of the production side of this construction grade timber and and uh, bamboo and I love how you have weaved it all together in just beautiful circular almost circular style or self-supporting system. Can you talk a little bit about Something I don't know much about, and I don't think my audience would know much about, but the actual construction using these products, I think, did you call it mass timber? Is that the the term for?
1: Yeah, so I can talk a little bit about about construction and design innovation as well. Mm -hmm. The first layer is that we don't actually want anyone to have to change anything about what they're doing in order to buy our product. We can make the same quarter-inch plywood So, okay, it's a little stronger, a little bit more fire resistant, a little bit more regenerative, and maybe the same price or a little bit cheaper. That in itself is a big innovation so that they don't have to do anything different. Um, In the future, um, as architects and developers start becoming more familiar with the material and as code compliance comes into, you know, so we can actually start building out of this material in a a fully 100% bamboo structural way we're going to start seeing some major design innovations. So one of the design innovations in wood recently is the ability to use cross laminated timber in making tall and very large buildings. So these maybe are like three foot by three foot you know, columns of wood, but also you know, 60 foot long pieces of engineered timber. And these are not whole trees. these are This is all engineered lumber. And the reason this has taken so long is because of fire resistance. Um, We don't build with wood because, like, you know, there was a big fire in almost every major city in the last few hundred years. And that's because we build with wood. Uh, We don't want that to happen again. But it turns out when you build a very large dimension piece of wood, it's like trying to light um, a log with a, you know, with a small flame. Right. It just doesn't doesn't catch on fire. So that's what mass timber does. It makes very large dimensional wood, not like two by fours, um, but like you know, 60 foot by four foot mm. um, pieces of wood. And there's a few issues with that. One is still fire resistance, but the other is just the size and dimension and weight of the wood. Um, bamboo can help innovate on every level. So one is it can be a fire resistant surface. So for tall mass buildings right now, Uh, these buildings are required for members to be uh, covered in gypsum for fire resistance or other fire resistant materials, we can instead cover that with bamboo. So it can be an aesthetic surface, it can be a walking surface, a ceiling, and also has fire resistance. So that's a major cost savings, um, but also the buildings then are just gorgeous afterward. Um, The second is strength. So in super tall wooden buildings you have to start making these really really large columns or you know exoskeleton pieces if we do that with bamboo we can decrease the size pretty big like we like at a very large ratio and so that means there's a larger usable square footage of actual living or working space inside the building rather than it being taken up by structural columns so that's a big deal big cost cost savings
0: So just because I think you mentioned earlier on, is it related to the idea that, although perhaps steel is actually still stronger, but because it's heavier, you need more of it, need more structural support. But because of the fact that this is lighter, you need less of it, which means more floor space. Is that the trade off that you're describing?
1: Yeah, not floor space isn't so much of an issue with steel, um, but it is an issue with wood. So there's a couple of things. Concrete seems like a very straightforward material, um, but that's probably because most of the listeners listening um, right now are in developed sort of pretty modern, highly regulated countries. Um, If you go to India or Indonesia, like concrete's actually a pretty technical material that is hard to do right, especially, you know, like uh, rebar reinforced concrete. Uh, There's spalding issues, there's longevity issues, there's a lot of earthquake issues. There's just general quality control mixing the concrete incorrectly. Mm -hmm. So where's most of the construction in the world actually happening? It's not in Europe, it's not in the US. Um, It's actually mostly in India and other countries that will be facing massive population increases over the next decade. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's actually long-term the market that we want to serve, Um, which just happens. The is experiencing the largest growth, are exactly the countries that can grow bamboo.
0: It's almost like it's meant to be. It's almost like it's the solution for the for the times. This is obviously fascinating, this whole story of bamboo and engineered timber and engineered, did we call it engineered timber or engineered bamboo? How do we? I, I call
1: it, you know, I, I wouldn't say that anyone knows enough about bamboo yet to have a definitive uh, definition of, of what we're calling it yet. Hmm. I call it engineered bamboo lumber. Okay. and. We'll see what it emerges into.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. It feels too good to be true, but you've convinced me. It does yeah. sound like a really, really yeah. fascinating topic.
1: And maybe just a context, is it too good to be true? You've yeah. painted a really rosy picture of the carbon impact, the social and economic and ecological impact, um, and also impact on design and construction industries. Like, OK, amazing. Uh, I think there's not much argument that it can technically happen. Everyone in the industry knows that bamboo is an amazing material. Um, What the defining question is, is can we go do it? And so I just want to give a little bit of context for, for what our operation looks like. Can we go do it? One, we're already doing it. So we actually have a pretty good factory going. We can, you know, we can take you there if anyone, the listeners, wants to come visit in the Philippines, let us go have a walkthrough. Um, the second is that our team is is amazing. You know, David's been just, just, the, just the management team right now. Like David's been in bamboo construction for 26 years as sort of the foremost, or one of the foremost bamboo architects. Um, Fred, you know, he's sort of like our adult supervision. He's run some of the largest coal companies in the US for a very long time as um, deeply uh, engaged with power production, and then also moving towards regenerative solutions for power production and uh, biomass. And just a story on biomass. Most biomass is not regenerative at all. You cut down a tree and burn it, like it's going to take 50 years for that carbon to come back. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a different story for bamboo. I wouldn't say that it's strictly good, but for sure it's better than, than burning wood or coal, mm-hmm. just because it grows back so quickly. Um, Russell, you know, he's built, uh, built an airline software company that probably every airline in the U.S. uses now um, and, uh, you know, deeply experienced with scaling companies. Ben, you know, he a, was a VP at Boeing, also very experienced in, you know, aerospace and manufacturing. So we have the most experienced team in the industry. We've been in bamboo for a really long time and uh, we have the capacity to go out and raise the money and actually implement a pretty sophisticated manufacturing process.
0: Yeah, that sounds like just a very impressive team that's gathered together to drive Rhizome. Can you talk to me a little bit about yourself? Like, Maybe talk a little bit about your background and maybe your journey into Rhizome. what inspired you to start this?
1: Yeah, I mean, you could say like on a professional academic resume level, I went to Stanford, worked at a couple of different tech companies in San Francisco after college, started my own company, ran it for a couple of years, sold it. And that was about six years ago. And in the intervening six years, I consulted for a handful of projects, um, but mostly did, you know, couples work and uh, was a Tentra teacher for the last six years with my partner. So that's sort of the, the context, but also working with regenerative agriculture and Um, and renewable energy financing, maybe one project a year. Mm -hmm. That was the sort of the lead up. So I've been in conversation with the rest of the team at Rhizome for about six years. Um, I've known David for a long time and the rest of the team. Um, And so, so over the last year, I realized, hey, this is actually at a point. So I'm actually the newest member of the executive team. I sort of came on late and It reached a point where I said, okay, it's worth my time joining because we're past the level of product development, past the level of sourcing. We're actually going to build a factory, start making product. Now's the time when the company can use uh, a lot of money um, and also scale quite quickly. And that's really where my passion and expertise is, is in building a team that can work on a project with commitment and devotion um, with a really big impact. And have a lot of fun doing it. So David
0: was your content manager. I think you mentioned previous to our podcast starting, he's a
1: bamboo architect. He's our architect and uh, product genius who is also leading design innovations in bamboo. Uh, He's amazing.
0: And I'm going to just describe, I think, for the audience, because I'm speaking to Troy with a video chat as well by now, and you're, you're actually speaking to me from a bamboo constructed house that I believe Dave is constructed.
1: So the house that I'm sitting in, thanks for the lead-in, the house that I'm sitting in is um, made with round pole bamboo construction. And uh, and so David and the rest of the team have been, and the rest of his team have been involved in this for the last 26 years or so, making very beautiful high-end uh, bamboo construction. Like you can probably go to Pinterest and look up bamboo houses and you'll see they're gorgeous. Mm. Um, about a decade ago, um, the team got together and said, okay, you know, this is amazing. We're, we're making gorgeous houses, but in order to have the largest possible ecological impact, we need to make a product that just clicks into the existing construction industry rather than being a custom product for individual homeowners. Mm. Um, and that's what led to Rhizome. Rhizome is the uh, sort of fruition of that impulse um, to make something that can replace wood, steel, and concrete without developers having to radically change their construction methods.
0: Yes, because I think that you're right. Just to slot in to a globe-spanning industry of construction, you can't just suddenly tell everybody you have to have a USB-C
1: connector. (laughs) (laughs) You have to fit into the existing system. And it also can't just be concessionary, meaning we can't expect people just to pay more because it's a regenerative project that does a really good thing for the world. We actually, Mm. um, our mission over the next year um, is to become cost competitive at a scale that is relevant for lumber companies, so that suddenly bamboo becomes a truly viable alternative for wood construction. Oh,
0: amazing. It's just kind of coming up to the end, but I'd like to ask you a couple more questions actually. One of them is, what do you wish you had known When you first started out in this endeavor, what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the last year or two?
1: Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I don't know. I think there's there's a quality of pacing to innovating in a legacy industry and also a quality of pacing to working In countries and in cultures that have a different set of values than sort of Western growth-oriented startups Mm -hmm. Um, and so without without judgment I actually think that you know being completely at ease with the pace that things go is a totally admirable way of being Um, and It is easy to get frustrated with i would say less so you know product adoption is actually going way faster than we expected we're getting tremendous support from lumber companies prefab builders residential home builders architects everyone's excited on that side Mm. Um, what does go slower is navigating relationships in the philippines and other areas that that actually it is not to be a white savior providing the right solution for a group of indigenous people Um, we want to do something that is actually good rather than just something that sounds good or is good on only one metric and that is taking a level of consideration and care um, that i think most companies do not necessarily have the patience for and it's not that it necessarily goes slower but it requires uh it requires more contact more communication and more real relationship with all of the stakeholders mm-hmm. and that is something that I think is an innovation at the business level that is a that is a cultural shift also in the way startups or other tech companies do business
0: that sounds quite really interesting actually because it sounds like you're having more real relationships with human beings whereas I mean, I'm in the high-tech industry can sometimes feel soulless without connection or as much connection and, and yeah and the pace i'm still staring at you right now in the sunshine in your bamboo hats. so the pace of life in this kind of space is more um, yeah
1: and the pace is not to say less productive or less efficient no the pace is more about consideration for what is actually good and what is actually called for in the moment whilst you know sort of like hippie values, but German engineering, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) If that isn't your company's tagline. It should be
1: now. Okay, I'll I'll go add it to the website. (laughs) Add
0: it to there. So let's move on. So one of the questions I really like asking everybody, it's been such an inspirational time talking to you, I'd really like to ask you, about what motivates you? I think that you know what you're doing is hard. Anybody who's working in this space, and especially given the care and consideration that you are putting into this, mm-hmm. um, it's hard. It's hard on multiple different levels. How do you stay motivated every day?
1: So, I mean, that's a great that's a great question. One is people. So the sort of people I get to interact with um, in this job, and in this country, and in this mission. Uh, is a privilege right it's it's a joy to speak with people like you who are essentially volunteering their time to do something that they believe is in service to the whole and that's a special quality and caliber of people that are attracted to working in climate um, and also in you know design and innovation um, but with a with a focus on actually in with a focus on service and when viewed through that lens, like, I just get to interact with really cool people, um, whether on the investor side, or, you know, hiring new people or um, making partnerships in new areas. I mean, just, you know, the, the team that I talked to in Indonesia yesterday, they're so sweet. Um, and they're brilliant, right? They're like, these brilliant genius designers and architects and systems thinkers, um, who are genuine loving human beings. Um, So that makes my job uh, energy-giving and fulfilling. Uh, Another level is just, yeah, like having impact without creating a culture that is not soulless. Now, you talked about how tech can sometimes feel soulless, like we are participating in a machine that we don't exactly believe in. So part of it is having a perspective of human beings living well together in right relationship with nature, um, and you know, when we make a bamboo building, the house that I'm sitting at probably gets more comments from people than like any other house in the area. It's like, wow, I feel so good in it. It feels organic, and you know, I love sleeping in it. It just feels really good. And that's not an easy thing to have metrics on. How good does the building that you're in feel? Um, but why not have all of our cities feel like that? where it's just like, I actually feel good in, good walking down the street inside. I feel as good inside as I do outside, right? Someone's st- someone in New York or London right now that is stuck inside during the quarantine is probably not saying it feels as good to be inside as it does to go on a walk. Um, but I believe that is the future of buildings.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. I do say what motivates me is interviewing people like you. It's it's so inspiring to hear your stories and all just the wonderful things. It gives me a lot of hope for the future to know that you're doing this now. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that.
1: And that there's a lot. I mean, I didn't even talk about our Philippines team. Like I even just talked about the the team of five guys managing the thing. But there are really amazing people working on this project. Um, And there will be a lot more in the future. Um, and, you know, as a, as a company, we need to become a leader in how we treat people so that they are constantly empowered to be at their most creative, regardless of where they are located, in what country they're from, to have the authority to be able to make smart decisions about their area of the company is going to be really important.
0: I think so. a lot of people listening, they might be interested in joining Rhizome now after hearing...
1: Give me a call. <laughs>
0: Give Troy a call. The hiring. So, just the last question: Is there anything inspirational? Something you've read recently? A personal listener should follow, or even just honestly, even just a thought that you've had? They you just want to leave the audience with.
1: Yeah. So the the theme. It's not a person or a particular resource, although there are many in this area. But the theme that comes and has surfaced. Uh, very strongly over the last weeks has been racial justice, economic justice, but particularly like black people getting hurt and killed by police. Um, And not to get like moral authority on this or like brownie points, um, but I just want to say that like racial justice is environmental justice, is social justice, is economic justice. These are part of one holistic system if people can be paid fairly, if they feel secure in their neighborhoods and houses, um, if they have enough time for their families, um, there's, there's a very large systemic shift that needs to happen at many different levels. Um, and, and Rhizome is just tackling one small piece of the pie, and that is providing economic support and ecological health for the regions in which it works. And then hopefully making buildings that um, that help support the longevity of humanity on Earth because we're in a we're in a big crisis right now, you know. And some things are bubbling to the surface, and then there are other themes that will only come to the surface over the coming decades. Um, and climate will be one of these themes that continues to return. Um, so maybe just on that note. Um, We only get so many projects to work on in life, and it's not worth your time to work on something that doesn't motivate you and keep you energized and fulfilled on a daily, you know, just on a a daily life level. Um, So, you know, find a project like Rhizome. There are other amazing projects in the climate space. But if any of these other issues, whether that's racial justice or economic justice, or any of the other themes that that demand attention right now, you know, go for it. Um, if it requires a jump, make the jump. Um, and if you're already doing it, thank you.
0: Wonderful. What a beautiful message to end with. Thank you so much, Troy, for your time today and also for everything that you're doing at RISEM and beyond. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time.
1: I really appreciate it, team. Thank you for the time. And thank you to everyone listening You can reach out, visit us at rhizomeco.com or just send me a note. Have a great day. You've been
0: listening to Asim Hussain on The Climate Fix. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast application. It really does help. Information about this episode, including all the links that we mentioned, can be found on our website, theclimatefix.com. If you want to message me, you can find me on Twitter as jawache, or you can email me at hello at theclimatefix.com. If you want each new episode neatly packaged together with the show notes and sent to your inbox weekly, then subscribe to our newsletter, which you can again find on theclimatefix.com. Till next time.